Our reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews and gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us back Barabbas. This is a great passage of scripture. Normally think of it during, you know, Easter season because it has to do with Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, but it is a poignant and powerful text that speaks to us not only about what was really going on in that day, but about what's going on in, uh, in this day. This is the story, of course, when Jesus was taken before Pilate. He was first taken by the religious leaders and then brought to Pilate. And if we were to read this whole text, I know I only printed a little bit of it for you, and it's on page 752 in the, uh, uh, the, the, the worship Bibles that we have for you. Were we to read this whole text, you would see that it's poignant with two key ideas that we're going to not really look at them in detail, but I just want you to kind of see them. The first idea is the idea of kingship and rulership. Listen to some of the texts that speak about the idea of kingship and rulership in this text. Pilate then went back to the inside the palace, starting with verse 33, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you king of the Jews? Kingship. Is that your own idea or did others talk to you about it? Jesus says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it, were, my, uh, uh, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. Well, you are a king then, see? It's all about kingship, and it goes on even more. Jesus answered, says, you, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of the truth listens, uh, listens to me. Verse, okay, in verse 39, he says to the people, he's not guilty of anything, but in verse 39 he says, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They say, No. I didn't go into I didn't have Chris read into chapter 19 but see this theme continuing as well um, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns who wears a crown a king, right? And put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him and said, "Hail, king of the Jews." And they slapped him in the face. Kingship when, verse 5, when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said, here is the man, the implication. Here is your king. As soon as they heard this, they shouted, crucify, crucify him. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. We have a law, the Jewish leaders insisted, that according to the law he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, now who does Pilate represent but the king? The kingdoms of this world, right? 
and here is Jesus. Pilate, the one with all the power, it says when he heard this, he was even more afraid. We had this conflict, this, this conflict of power that's going on between Pilate representing the, uh, the powers of Rome, the most powerful nation probably ever, really, in terms of empire, controlling the whole known world. He representing that. And the Jewish people have the religious power, the religious right, if you will, the religious power, and the Jesus having absolutely really no power, right? Three kinds of people that we know how to think about this morning. All right, so he was even more afraid. And he went back into the palace. Where do you come from? Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate says in verse 10? Don't you realize I have power to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. These are the religious people, right? From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept on shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. The religious people are, are, are pulling the political card. What kind of a politician are you? You're not supporting the king. They're, they're, the religious leaders are taking the side of Caesar. You see that? Which, if you're a Jewish people, it's like, what is going on here? They've given up their divine birthright as the people of God, and for the purpose of their own political agenda, they're saying, you're no friend of Caesar. Going on, it says. Uh, I'm sorry to get excited about this, but it is exciting. Um, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement, which which in Aramaic is called Gabbatha. Gabbatha. It was the preparation of the Passover. It was about noon, Friday at noon. Okay? Here is your king. I'm saying this is, a, this is about power and kingship. All right? Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate said? We, oh, this is This is a knife to the heart, if you really are reading carefully. We have no king but Caesar, the Jewish chief priests answered. Who is their king if you're a Jewish leader? It's God, right? It's God. And they, we have no king but Caesar. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And I could read even on. And what did Jesus, Pilate put on top of him? Here's Jesus, the king of the Jews. They go to him. This is the rest of that chapter. They say, don't say that he is the king of Jews. Say that he claimed to be the king of the Jews, right? Jesus claimed to be king of the Jews, right? And what Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. Probably, if you're like me, until you looked at, until today and until I looked at this carefully, never saw that this is about power. This is about Political power, religious power, Jesus power. Political power being, uh, you know, all the might of Rome and of Pilate and armies and politics. Religious power being the, the Jewish law, the, the Torah, the, the, the influence that comes from being the people in the right, the powerful people. Don't be so hard on them because there's religious power 
in our country today as there is in any country. Don't just say, well, this is the way it was then because there's religious power in Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia and in the United States. And then there's Jesus, the power, the power of powerlessness. And the sad and tragic reality that the people who should have been recognizing Jesus crucified Jesus. And one wonders whether it's possible for us today, with all of our political issues and agenda that we bless with God's stamp, that we can sometimes say, we have no king but the United States, right? So, it's about power. That's one theme that's in there. I'm not going to say much more about that. I just want you to chew on it because if I step any further, I'll, you know, hurt all of our toes a little bit. It's very easy to bless my political persuasion with the Word of God, to wrap the national flag in the Bible and to make them the same. They weren't the same in the first century. They're not the same in the 21st century. The second issue here is the issue of, I said power was the first one. The second was truth. Truth. Okay? Jesus answered and said, this is verse 37, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? Says Pilate. As if to say, Jesus, don't you realize this is politics here? I know what's going on here. I know these are trumped-up charges. I know you're not guilty of death. You need to understand, truth is irrelevant when it comes to politics, right? What's truth got to do with this? This is about saving skin and power and stuff like that. I'm painting in broad brushes, but we need to see these broad brushes, right? Let me give you an example. I'm going to reach way back in ancient history, Wednesday. If you turned on Fox News or CNN at about the same time, what would you have heard? Obamacare has been defeated by the Supreme Court, right? Did you know that? Did you know that? And then within minutes, wait a minute. This doesn't overturn the health plan. It supports the health plan, okay? What was going on there? In their interest to be first, neither news broadcast cared about getting the truth. They wanted to have the first story. And they read the first page or the two pages, and they saw that they shut down the uh, intercommerce agreement and assumed that that there meant that it had been passed down and realized that what, you know. So when Pilate said in the first century, what is truth, he wasn't just speaking about something which ended in the first century. It's still true. It's still true. Um, whether you're glad or mad about the Supreme Court decision is not my point. I'm not trying to make that point today. But I just thought it was, I thought it was fascinating 
that you have the one conservative news broadcast and the liberal broadcast, had it been just one of those two, the other side would have had a heyday with that. But it wasn't, it was both. And it's just like funny to me. It's like, and I watched those broadcasts, and I thought, this is, I didn't see it live, I saw it later. I thought, I can't believe this. They both reported the wrong thing, you know, uh, because they didn't want to take, the, because they wanted to have the first story. What is truth? Well, the truth is, truth matters. Truth matters. Unfortunately, whether you're a political servant, conservative or a political liberal, sometimes truth is less important than your position. Whether you're a first-century Jew or a first-century Roman procurator, truth doesn't quite matter as much as your position. Standing against all that, weak, in a crown of thorns, and a tattered robe, and powerless, stands the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he does not seem to align himself perfectly with a political system, nor with the established religious system. In fact, he is crucified by both, and yet resurrected. And somehow it seems to me that in every day since, the way of Jesus has always been that way. Not the way of power, not the way of getting everybody to my agenda, but the simple way of Jesus. So, why do we want, let's talk about the truth. Why do we want the truth? Okay. Um, well, you need to remember that truth is not an enemy. Truth is an ally. There are wonderful benefits that come from knowing the truth. Like you're building a home. Can you imagine what difficulty there would be if you didn't have a ruler or a level? These things tell you the truth. You try to build without the truth, you have a problem. Am I right? Yeah, it looks square to me, you know. Well, who, how dare you tell me how, your truth is not my truth. You say it's 12 inches. I say it's 11 and 3 quarters. I, what difference does it make? To each his own, right? Right? No. And when building a home, we know that the truth matters. My son is working on some stuff, and, you know, neither of us are, have a lot of experience with the uh, carpentry work and some of that, and so, but yeah, he's really careful to measure accurately because if you don't get those things measured right, the cuts go wrong. If the cuts go wrong, the things go together wrong, and the whole thing doesn't work. The truth is good for us. In the same way, if we ignore the truth, bend the truth, shade the truth, ignore the, uh, I said ignore the truth, um, twist the truth, we're the ones who suffer. Truth is something of great value. Rather than resisting spiritual truth, we should be grateful for them. Truth is not our opponent. It is our ally. If we are wise, we build our lives consistent with the truth. If so doing, our lives can be beautiful. So here's a few great blessings of the truth real quickly. I, I'm going to be quick, I promise. Number one, truth brings freedom. Truth brings freedom. John, all these texts are out of John, the Gospel of John. Truth is an important theme in John, not just in this one little section. Truth brings freedom. Jesus says, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, by knowing the laws of physics, we can build a home on the side of a hill. We can build multi-story skyscrapers. We can have tremendous freedom because we know the laws of physics. 
Truth sets us free. Truth helps us to do things we otherwise couldn't do, okay? Um, truth gives us boundaries that help set us free. You know, that's one of the things that's crazy about if you read poetry or, or music or well, you realize that all these ultimately, and, and Chris, you know, you understand music, it's all about rules. It's all about laws. It's all about, it's very mathematical. And if you know those truths, they become instinctive to you, and you, you know, you're playing, a, you know, you're improvising on a piece. You, you're thinking in terms of the key. You know what scales go with, you know, you know, and that's all. The truth sets you free. Without it, you're just guessing, right? And it often doesn't sound good. Now, when you know the rules really well, you know where you can, you know, how you can make them work. But the better you know, the more free you become, all right? Truth sets us free. Number two, truth brings us guidance. Truth brings us guidance. John 16, 13 says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. See, the truth guides you. It gives you guidance. The spirit is called the spirit. How many of us need guidance in our life? And the Holy Spirit gives us that guidance. You know, the level and the square and the tape measure. Imagine trying to build a house without them. How do we know if it's the right length? We use the tape measure. How do we know if it's square? We use the square. You don't rely on your eye. I mean, you can do that a little bit, but you're always running a risk, right? So the truth gives us guidance. I remember when my uh, first home was built, my cousin um, uh, said, I want you to, uh, um, we're gonna, I got this, uh, uh, what do you call it? A plumb line, yes, okay, thank you. I couldn't remember what it's called. And he's standing over there, and he's saying, Mark, where it is? And I said, well, it's right there, it's right there, it's right there. It all looked crooked to me because the ground is crooked, but that was what determined what was level all the way through, right? And uh, so truth gives us guidance. How do we make good decisions in our life? Check the sources of truth as they reveal to us by God. Number three, truth brings us confidence, confidence. John 19, 35, the man who, the man who saw it, that's, the writer of the gospel. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. He has confidence, you know, as he looks, as he looks at the truth, it gives him confidence. And you and I, because we, uh, uh, we were talking a little earlier about, you know, covering up, right? Uh, Proverbs, I forget the, I forget the text. He who covers his sin will not prosper. Tell that to the coach, right? Um, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away in Psalm 31. All right? I think it's 31. Truth gives us confidence. It also gives us guidance, okay? Um, So how do I raise children? Check the truths in God's Word. How do I build a great marriage? Check the truths in God's Word. How do I approach my business life? Check the truths in God's Word. Truth is not your enemy. Truth is your friend. All right, secondly, where do I find the truth? Where do I find the truth? Number one, I find the truth in God's Word. I find the truth in God's Word. Jesus, in what's called his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, says, Sanctify them by the truth, your word is is truth. In other words, set them apart by the truth of your word. If you want to find truth, you will find it in God's word. The scriptures are inspired by God and are authoritative by God. Yes, they're counter. Yes, they give us wisdom to tell us that you don't report the news until you know the news, right? Right? But you know the system's askew. It, we know it's askew when we look at everybody else, 
but it's just a skew. It's just a skew. Um, we find the truth in God's Word. That's why here at Ecclesia, we want to teach the Scripture regularly. Read the Scripture. That's why we read it twice for you. Have you read it out loud? That is an act of worship to hear the Word of God. Um, Shame on us in churches for being too busy and having too much to do that we don't have the time to simply read the Word of God in our worship. We need to respect the Word of God better than that. So, and I hope you find yourself a large print Bible so that you can actually read scriptures in this setting when you're here. It's so dark you can't, I know. Um, all right, we find truth in God's Word. Number two, we find truth in Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except, for, except through me. He doesn't just teach the truth. He is the truth. And, in fact, you've heard the, um, uh, uh, in the old-fashioned English uh, uh, King James versions, you remember the phrase, verily, verily, I say unto you, verily, verily. In our newer versions, it says truly, truly. Um, in some versions, it says with all the earnestness I possess. It could be pronounced or translated, I tell you the truth. It really is the word, amen. Amen, amen, except you are born again. You cannot see the kingdom of it. It means that's the truth. It's the truth, all right? Um, like you say, when I say to you, um, Ecclesia is the great, greatest church in the whole world, you say, amen. You're saying that's the truth, right? It's the truth. You're saying, preach it, right? Uh, I'm teasing, of course. Um, he, Jesus embodies, uh, excuse me, Jesus embodies truth. Listen to John 1, 14. Did I read that? No, I didn't read that one yet. In 17, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the truth. Follow me. All right? We find the truth in God's Word, in Jesus Christ. Number three, in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you oh, 14, 17. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Verse 17, the Spirit of truth. 15, 20, chapter 15 and verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. In chapter 16 and verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So how can I find out the truth? We have three sources here that are told to us. Number one, the Scripture itself. Number two, Jesus as revealed in Scripture, in the person of Jesus, and number three, the Holy Spirit, who gives to us that inner witness of the truth. And if we're very honest and we actually pay attention, we feel that Spirit in our heart all the time. We just often run over it too quick, right? So, we have the written Word, the example of Christ, but the Holy Spirit is an internal witness. His direction is always consistent with the Word of God, and with the example of Jesus Christ. Well, the next question to ask is, how will I respond to the truth? How will I respond to the truth? Sadly, in this text of Scripture that we've been uh, looking at, we see some very wrong responses to uh, the truth. Number one, I can attack it like the official did. 
When Jesus was uh, meeting with them, it says, when, chapter 18, verse 22 and 23, when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face and said, is this any way to answer the high priest? Jesus said, if I have said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? And that sad question, that poignant question, if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Well, we don't strike Jesus in the face, but there are some times we turn our nose up at Jesus when we reject the truth. We know the truth. And if we're all honest here today, we will admit we've done it. Knowingly, we've done it. We can attack the truth like the official did. I hope we don't do that, but we can often do that. Number two, I can avoid the truth like Pilate did. You know, in, uh, in 1838, it says, what is truth? And if you know that story, he knew all along, like I said at the beginning, he knew that this was a lie. He knew these were trumped up charges. He knew this was about power. He knew he had enough power to fix it. He didn't think truth had much of anything to do with it, right? What is truth? So he avoided the truth. Remember his wife, I think it's in another text, says, have nothing to do with that man, you know. And in another text, he washes his hands and says, I wash my hands of him. He's yours. He tried to avoid the truth. And often in our lives, we, we abuse the truth and we just sort of avoid it. We just kind of think, it won't matter. It won't matter. And the sad truth is, it does matter. We pay the price down the road, down the road. I can avoid the truth. Even though I know it's good for me, I can avoid uh, the truth. He said, I find no basis for a charge against him, and yet they, he let them be crucified. Number three, I can rationalize it like the religious people did. I know that's not an A, but I didn't have an A in my head. Um, oh, do I have? Oh, twist it. Well, that's the other word. I can twist it like the religious people did. You know, it's, if you, I wish we could talk more, and I need to actually sort my thoughts out a little better about on this thing because I'm too emotional about it right now. But when they, uh, in the text that I didn't read for you at the beginning of it, um, see if I can find it. Hang on just a moment, please. In starting with the 28th verse, I don't think we read it starting from there. Yeah, starting with the 28th verse of chapter 18. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat at the Passover. I don't know why that, some, it almost makes me smile to read that, and it almost makes me cry. What's going on is these Jewish people were very devout. They were very religious. They were very sure. They were very eager. The problem is they got more committed to their idea about the truth than they were to the God who gave the truth. See? And so they have Jesus, and they take him, and they're very conscientious. You know, they make sure they don't want to go into the palace of the governor because they don't want to break the Jewish law because they want to observe the Passover that day. You can't go into the house of a Gentile and remain clean. This is part of God's law. So what they had done is they had picked a key part of the law and, and organized their lives around that and missed the bigger deal that they're actually bringing the Son of God to be crucified. 
You see? They, like in Jesus' words, they, swall- they, they strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel. They were so conscientious to make sure that they didn't, you know, do the wrong thing. And we all have our little wrong, lists of wrong things that help us to uh, determine what's right and what's wrong. And we get all caught up in those things. That's what they were. And that they twisted the truth. If they were to think later, we have no king but Caesar, they did not believe that for a moment. But they twisted the truth. And they found themselves colluding with the empire and crucifying the Son of God because they twisted the truth. And we who have the truth of God's Word and the example of Jesus Christ and the witness of the Holy Spirit, we can be guilty of doing what those religious leaders did, of using our political opinions, for example, to treat people like they're non-entities, to think that because we think they're wrong, we can say whatever we want to about them. You know, these are not, this is not the truth about Scripture, right? To assume, okay, all right, so we can twist the truth, all right? Um, and then finally, we can accept the truth. Like John did in 1837, um, Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And in John 19.35, the writer of this gospel said, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. Well, we can embrace the truth, which means that we probably will not find ourselves on the side of Pilate, nor on the side of religious power. We might find ourselves with a crown of thorns over our heads, even in so-called Christian America. But let's embrace the truth, because if we know the truth, the truth sets us free. Let's have prayer. Father, we are so thankful for this gripping story, really. It's a gripping story of power and bluster and... Um, and uh, political intrigue and religious um, irony. And in the midst of it, we find the Messiah, God made flesh, toppling both religious and political systems, not by conquering from above, but by laying down his life as a servant. And we who are followers of Jesus have the opportunity to lay down our lives for one another as well and for this world. Help us not to assume that it will be any easier for us than it was for Jesus. Help us to understand that the answer is not in the kingdoms of this world, but in the truth of Jesus Christ. And never is that more poignant to us than when we observe the Lord's table. When we think about God, putting on flesh and blood and laying it down as a sacrifice for our sins. As we observe the Lord's table today, we do so with gratefulness and thankfulness. In Jesus' name.